Turn with me your Bibles to Psalm 122. Talking about songs for singing on the way to church. We have this vision in our mind of climbing upward, going toward the house of God. And these are the songs that they would sing as they were walking up to the house of God. Psalm 122, it says again that it is a song of ascent, a going up song. But this one is listed as Psalm of David. So David is the one who the Lord used to write this song. There are three other of these psalms that will be from David, I believe, but this is the first one, a song of David. We'll read the whole thing before we get started. Verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So this song especially is about going to the house of the Lord and about going to church because it says in verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, Let's go into the house of the Lord. That's David. If you know much about David, you can kind of compare David to Peter a little bit. David's the Old Testament Peter, except David experienced a lot more depth of the move of God in his life early, uh, where Peter's was a little bit later. Remember David, as a young boy, killed a bear, killed a lion, and then killed Goliath. I mean, as a young boy, that happened to him. So he had early on experienced the move of the power of God working through his life. That's an amazing thing for a young person to experience. And so if you also remember part of David's story is when he brought the ark of God, that ark that sat in the holy of holies, in the holy place. You remember there's a story about David bringing that ark home and how he got outside and danced around in his underpants for a while. You remember the story? And he danced so much just praising God he couldn't contain himself. And everybody was watching and his wife was embarrassed. Uh, and so that's David. He's a worshiper, somebody who would praise God. And so as he starts this, I'm glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And he's happy about it. He's rejoicing about it. It's good to be going to God's house. I remember when I was 15 years old, I'll tell you some of my history, when I was 15 years old, we didn't go to church. My brothers, I had three brothers, and my mom, we didn't go to church. My dad went to church. My dad always went to church. He went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, since I can remember. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, daddy's gone. I didn't even know where he was going, to be honest. I didn't even know where he was going, but I just knew it's Sunday night, daddy's not going to be home tonight. It's Wednesday night, daddy's not going to be home tonight. And uh, 
I didn't know anything about the Lord. Didn't know anything about, thing about the Lord's house. And I was 15. I was pretty miserable. I had hatred for somebody so much. I wanted to kill them, literally. I had hatred for my brothers. And I had hatred for myself. I was somewhat suicidal at that time. There was a man in the church down the road. His name was Gene Helton. He had a wooden leg from here down. A big overweight man who was so jolly you'd laugh if you just talked to him for 10 seconds and he he loved nothing better than take that wooden leg off and leave it laying in the door somewhere he would crack the door open with it it was his favorite joke if it was hot in here he'd take his leg off and go over there and lay at the door and leave the let the air blow in a little bit just a jolly man he showed up at our door and picked me and my brothers up and took us to the church that was just right down the road church called Newfound, and my life changed. I didn't get saved that day, but my life changed that day. And he continued to pick us up. And I remember hoping he would keep picking us up and hoping he would keep taking us to church. I started learning about Jesus. I'd never heard of Jesus. I started learning about who he was and what he had done. And it was this great mystery to me. How could, how could God do so much for me. And I went there initially thinking I had no sin. I've told you this before because I didn't chew tobacco, I didn't smoke cigarettes, and I didn't drink, and I didn't cuss. So I thought I was good. I went there thinking I had no sin, and the more I learned about Jesus, the more I realized how wicked I was and how sinful I was. I loved going there for Jesus. I loved going there because I met a young girl there, that one right over there, she was 14, I was 15. My kids make fun of us. They say we never knew what single life was. We met from right out of the crib, and we've been together ever since. There's a little bit of truth in that, not quite. But uh, I remember getting excited to get in the car with Gene Helton and him take us to church. And then within just a few months, my older brother Mark got his driver's license. We went in together, bought a car. And we started driving ourselves to church, and we haven't stopped since. We've been going to the Lord's house. David here has, is anticipating the future. He's been told he can't build the Lord's house because he's been a man of war. And he's been told his son Solomon will be able to build the Lord's house because he'll be a man of peace. But David already has experienced the ark of God and the presence of God and even the touch of God when God did mighty things through him. And in this psalm, he's anticipating the future of getting to go to church. And he says, when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord, I was glad. If you look at that part, it says, let us go to the house. Let's go. If you've ever been to a ball game or been a coach or had kids that played, it's, it's the ones who don't know what to cheer at the ball game, they, they don't know what to cheer at baseball or what to cheer at football, they don't know what to yell. They end up yelling, let's go! That's all they got. <laughs> they don't know to yell, hit the ball or swing the bat. or They don't know what to yell because they don't really know the game. They just end up yelling, let's go. And uh, some years ago, uh, the guy who's... Uh, I just lost his name. The quarterback who played for Florida, uh, Tim Tebow, the guy that 
all the homeschool little girls that wanted to marry for, you know, <laughs> at least two generations. And if the girls didn't want to, the dads wanted the girls to marry Tim Tebow. Uh, if you know anything about Tim Tebow, he told his mama, I'm waiting for a good girl. And she said, what about Miss USA? He goes, even better. Let's wait on for Miss World. And that's who he got. <laughs> He's a strong believer who stood for the Lord. And some years ago, he was given a, a game show on TV. I don't know if you saw it. I think it lasted about two episodes. And he was filled with enthusiasm. And he kept, he kept saying, let's go. And he would shout, it's so good to be here. And he would shout, I'm so pumped right now. And all that translates great out on the football field, but it doesn't translate so well on a game show. And so it didn't last very long. Oh, the joys of worship. If somebody would say, let's go to church. There is no other legitimate reason to come to church, is there? If you just love the beauty of the buildings, of the church buildings that are around here, then you haven't been very many places. <laughs> if, you, if you just enjoy the smell. You've been in a lot of these old churches, they got a smell. It's not a pleasant smell. Uh, we've talked for years, we said it's the combination of 50 over-perfumed women's perfumes sitting in that building all week without opening the door, and then you open it on Sunday, and there's something near kin to a funeral home smell about it. Have you ever noticed that? I'm not putting them down. That's just reality. Thank God we don't have that here, but we do have a hint of smoke in this place still because it used to be a gambling facility. But it's, it's nothing really magical about church. You're not going to get the best singing always like we have. You're not going to get the best music always. You're not going to get the best story or the best show or why would you go to church if you don't worship? You know, everybody worships something. Some people get really excited when they buy something new. Some people get really excited if they catch a big fish. Some people get really excited if they can hit a golf ball or hit a baseball. Uh, some people get really excited to work. If they just get to work real hard, they love it. Some people get really excited if they make another dollar or make two dollars is even better or a hundred is even better. And as a preacher and a pastor, I cannot teach anybody how to worship. Did you know that? You can't teach somebody how to worship God. You already know how to worship every other thing out there and all kinds of other things out there, but I cannot teach you or compel you to worship God. But when you meet him, and he lift, lifts you from the depths of your sin and sets your heart at peace for the first time in all your life and forgives you of all your sins and begins to lead you and walk with you and guide you. There is something that the Spirit of God does inside of you that cannot be taught. I don't even think it can be learned. The Spirit of God then gives you the ability in your heart to cry out how great God is. That's what worship is. Your heart crying to God how great He is. And when that happens, it is so joyous, it will spring over and even take over every other thing you were worshiping before. 
Let me try to explain. So from that day on, you're so filled with the worship of God that when you catch that big fish, you'll find yourself praising God for it. When you hit that baseball, you'll praise God for it. If you make another dollar, you'll praise God for it. Because the worship of God has consumed every other form of worship you have. And so now anything else that brings you a little delight will move you to your greatest delight. And that is to recognize God as the one who provided that for you. And you'll worship Him as you experience lesser delights. I'm glad to go to church, he says. Let's go to the house of God. That is public worship. I listened to two messages this week from preachers from the 1700s. And both of them preached a message entitled, Public Worship is Better Than Private Worship. Our society today teaches just the opposite, don't they? I believe it's the devil's tool in trying to teach us that private worship is better than public worship. I think it's the devil's use of even COVID in teaching people that it is better, uh, even right, for you to stay at home and have private worship rather than public worship. But the Bible teaches that there's something about public worship that you don't get in private worship. And I want you to know this. When you get the glory one day, the place of worship, for all eternity, God's not going to give you a solitary room over there in the corner by yourself and say, go over there and sit beside yourself and worship the living God. He's going to put you in the room where all the billions of hosts are that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And He's going to say to you to join in with all of them and worship the living God. There'll be no private worship in heaven. It's all going to be public worship. It's all going to be joint worship. And when you get there, you'll be getting up in the morning and saying, let's go. I'm ready to go to church. I'm ready to get back to what we stopped doing yesterday, and let's get back to start doing it again. Let's worship the living God. David says he's glad to go to church. Let's go to the house of God. Let me just put a note in there. Men, that's your voice in your home. That's your voice in your home. I pray that's your voice. Because the children that you have and the wife that you have will reflect that. And respond to that. Look what he says next. Our feet, verse 2, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Our feet are standing inside the gates of the church. We references Jerusalem here. It is a reference to the church, the coming church. Imagine wanting to go to church, dreaming about going to church, fantasizing about going to church, and then one day. You're standing there in the house of the living God. And it says that he's, he's noticing his feet. I think the reason he's noticing his feet is because he, he's either bowed or his eyes are at least looking down in humility as he's standing before the living God. Finally, our feet, feet are here. We're within the gates of the church. Look at verse 3. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. This word compact means to be united. It means to come together. It means that when they be, rebuilt Jerusalem over and over again, they built it more and more compact with walls around it so that they were more and more intertwined together. Their homes were like some of these modern-day subdivisions and apartment complexes 
They were literally built on top of one another, side by side. You could reach out the window to the next one. And so there was this intertwining of their families and their relationships because they were so compact together. And so you had this picture of the church being built in such a way that the members of the church, the families of the church, are to be compacted together. Look what it says in verse 4. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So there are different tribes going up. Many different families. The word tribe could be translated branch or different families. You would think about it. Different branches of a tree. Many of these different families are going up to the house of the Lord. And it says that they are, verse 4, they are tribes of the Lord. What, what brings them this commonality? They're from different races and different families and different backgrounds and different standards of finance and different hobbies and different delights. The thing that brings them together is that they are God's tribes, God's families. People from different families coming together inside the house of the Lord. You say you got your house and her house and his house and their house but then you're coming to God's house. And when you come under the roof of God's house, you're all together in the Lord's house. That's the bond that binds you together. You say, well, I don't like, if one on this side says, I don't like so-and-so on that side. Listen, you got the wrong view of the house of God. You're not here because you like their business practices or their political views or their financial standards. You're here because you love the same God. You're in the house of the Lord when you're here. And you're worshiping the Lord when you're here. And so it doesn't matter all these other views. This is the one institution in the whole world where people from all different languages and tribes and nations and families and all of that comes together under one roof in harmony and peace, compacted together. This is one of the greatest testimonies of the Lord that there is. That a church can be composed of so many different people. He says in verse 4, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. We are the Lord's families. We are here as a witness of what God is doing. And our here's our job. Here's what we do. We give thanks. The end of verse 4, we give thanks to the name of the Lord. It means to praise Him, to confess thanksgiving. Literally, it's talking about shooting out arrows or casting out a confession of praise to the living God to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So that's what we do when we come here. We come together, the tribes of the Lord, and we give thanks to the name of the Lord. Look at verse 5. For the thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. There is a component in the Lord's house in the Old Testament that we miss sight of today. And that is the component, component of the judgment seat. The king would have sat at the gate. And as you came and went, the king would have been there for judgment. Families who could not settle arguments or differences, they could come to what was then, it's where we get our higher court. They could come to a higher court where justice was to be found. If you've ever experienced injustice, you know the value of justice. If you've ever experienced mistreatment by others, you know the value of justice. And so the fact that at the Lord's house, there was a seat for the king to sit, 
to pass a higher court's judgment. In other, in other words, a judgment that preceded all other judgments, that overtook all other judgments. That was proof to them that God's house and God is for justice. If you're going through injustice, it does you well to know that your God is for justice. I wish I had me somebody. It would do you well to know that God is a maker of things right. He wants things to be correctly decided upon. And he wants there to be a just payment for just cause. And he wants there to be no wrong payment for a unjust cause. He well understands the need for justice and the fulfillment of the law. You say, how does God understand this so well? Because it was for justice that Jesus came. Because you couldn't pay the debt that you owe. You were incapable of paying the debt to the law that you owe. And so Jesus came to pay a debt that you could not pay. A debt that was mine and yours. Why? So God could be the king of justice. And so the fact that their court system was so intertwined in the Old Testament with their church system showed them very clearly that their God was a God who was just and was going to do what was right and make correct decisions, and he was going to bring justice to the land. So any church since then who has ever had a member or a group of people who are experiencing injustice, they would continue to worship and praise God more even though they were in this injustice because they understood that God was a God of justice and one day he'll make all things right. And so that's why some of our brothers and sisters of old in American history would worship for hours and hours and still worship hours and hours long because they're calling upon the king of justice to bring to light the truth that they are suffering such injustice in a dark world. Does that make sense? So the fact that God would bring the, the throne of justice into his house is a marvelous thing that David would not leave out here in verse 5. There is a connection between God's house and the judgment that is there to bring justice to those who have been wronged. Men passing through the gate as they came and as they left had access to the king for there to be a just decision made. There's a little bit of transition in the song in verse 6. It goes on now to ask you to pray. It says in verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Pray for the peace of the church. A man is to measure the success of a church by its peace. American institutionalized churches have no concept of this. Do you know that? A church is to be measured by its peacefulness. How at peace it is. In the church, peace, peace is to be desired. It is a mark of God's hand. It is a mark of God's presence. And it is a mark of the salvation of the members of that body of believers. It goes on to say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May they prosper who love the church. Out there beside the word you, write the church beside it. He's saying, may they prosper who love the church. If you love the church, 
Verse 6, then you will pray for the church. And what will you pray for? You'll pray for peace. Look at verse 7. Peace within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. This word prosper has to do with keeping peace. It has to do with rest in the Lord and tranquility in the Lord. It's not prosperity in the way that we in the United States describe prosperity in a financial gain. It's this kind of prosperity. The fact that God's hand is upon you and you can have a good sleep at night and you can rest under the hand of God with the full awareness that God's in charge. That's the prosperity that's being spoken of here. For those who keep peace within the church, they will prosper. They will be blessed by God. To those who break peace in the church, they deserve to suffer. God would have his house to be a house filled with peace. As a father, I often say, hey, 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 hold it down. <laughs> not in the house. Use your inside voice, not your outside voice. And other times I say, hey, 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 hold it down. If you're going to do that, go do it in the yard. That's what we say. Send them out to the yard. They're going to rustle around like that. You're going to break something. Go do it in the yard. It's the Lord's house. And then family would come against family and man against man. God would say, it's his house to be a place of peace. He sent Jesus to make peace with you and him. And he sent Jesus to make peace with you and your brothers. And so it means to have a peace of knowing that God's in charge and he loves me and there's prosperity here in the Lord's house. Look at verse 8. For the sake of my brothers and my companions, the word companions is friends. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say peace within you. It's like him saying, I will now say is like to declare it or pronounce it. It's like when I meet somebody, I greet them and I say, peace be on you. Or, Lord bless you. That's what he's saying. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I now declare peace to the church. I say peace be on Lighthouse Church and peace be on this church is what he's saying in verse 8. Verse 9, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Because this is the Lord's house, I will seek your good. The word good has a improvement nature to it. It means to be good or better, pleasant or more agreeable. It means to have more good or more better is something we say. It's an increase in the better that you already have. And so the Lord's house has done this for you. It has brought so much increase into your life. You desire for the Lord's house to bring that increase into others' lives. It is to the advantage of any person who would come to a place filled with peace that they would long for others to be able to experience that same peace. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. If you go into the home where there's a home of a marriage that's dwelling in peace and unity, it's a beautiful thing to visit. It's a, it's a, it's a tranquil thing. It's even an encouragement. If you have spiritual eyes, you would declare it as more beautiful than 
attractiveness, if I could say it that way. The beauty of a, a man and woman's marriage being good and sweet and at peace is a beautiful thing. The display of it being in discord and disharmony and anger is a reproach and a discouraging thing. And so for the sake of your brothers and your friends, pray for peace and declare peace upon them. And for the sake of the Lord's house, seek their good, their betterment. I'm going to go into application. Number one, do you love the church? Do you love the church? Notice what he said back there. He said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's go. I was glad when my feet, feet were within that city gates. And he said in verse 6, pray for the peace and may you prosper those prosper who love you, who love the church. Do you love the church? Do you love this church? It would be to your benefit if you do. In our day that we live in today, there is a natural and even an encouraged disdain for the church of the living God. Are you aware of that? Even you are encouraged to be sort of despising the church. Maybe it's a part of this whole woke movement. I don't know. But it's a part of something. Of the devil's intention. For you will find that your family members and some of your friends will despise and even look down on you if they think you like your church. Much more so if they think you love your church. Have you, have you experienced that? It's not the norm today for somebody to say out loud, I like my church, or I love my church. I'll give you two quick reasons why you should love your church. Number one, if you were saved, you were a part of that church. <laughs> that's, that's you. That's part of you. It's the people, not the building. Number two, according to the Lord, the church is His bride. It is the bride of Christ. It is Jesus' bride. And so if you don't like or love her, you're having an issue with God Himself. I'll give you a third one. It's who you're going to spend eternity with. The bride of Christ. The church. And so if you don't like to be with them now, and you don't love to be with them now, you're going to be pretty miserable in eternity. I'll go further and say, you might not be in eternity. John said in chapter 3, verse 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus said this, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People who come here will know God loves them when they experience His bride, His church loving them. Did you know that? Think about that. It's not enough for me to preach that Jesus loves them if you don't love them. You can't preach Jesus loves them in a place where people don't like them or are hateful to them. It, one undoes the other. Love is not normal in the day we live in. This love that we 
are expressing would happen in a church, it's abnormal. It comes from God. It stands out. It's otherworldly, if I could say it that way. And it proves Jesus. It proves His power and His strength and His ability. I didn't plan on doing this, but I want to read to you a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Start in verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long, it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Where do we normally hear these verses read? Somebody tell me. At the wedding. Let me go on. Love suffers long, it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up, puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. That's a big one right there, just by itself. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in sin, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We hear that read at weddings. That is not marriage verses. Those verses are not in the Bible for a marriage. Those verses are in the Bible for the church. That's the basis of love. That's the minimum of love. That's the prescription of love for a church. A marriage union wedding is to be even greater than that. Higher than that. And we've taken the greatest, highest institution, the marriage... And, and we have such a small view of it, we've dumbed it down to the needs and desires of love within the church walls. And then when we think about the church, we can't fathom a love like this inside the church. Suffers long, it is kind. Does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not provoke, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in sin, rejoices in the truth. These are the basis of love for you to love the person over there and the person beside you within this church. Isn't that amazing? Do you love the church? If we love the church, we are called upon to love the church because God first loved us. And then we're called upon to love the church the same way that we love ourselves. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 and 14 says, Even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't ever say love yourself. He doesn't teach us how to do that. He assumes we have that already. He uses the same uh, rationale in our marriages. He says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33, Let each man in particular so love his own wife as himself. He assumes the fact that men love themselves and he raises the standard and he says the same way you love yourself, love your wife. He doesn't say anywhere ever to love yourself less. He says with the measure that you use to love yourself, use that and direct it towards loving your spouse and loving others. This is how you channel the love that you have for yourself. You say, John, do you love yourself? We don't talk like this, but 
Let me just give you an example for a real minute. Do you love yourself? You better believe I do. Then he would say, then love your wife like that. And then he would say, then love your church like that. The same way you love yourself, love those in your church. Doesn't ever ask you to suppress your self-love, but he asks you to express your self-love by loving others in the same way. Do not love yourself less. Love others more by the measurement for which you have been loving yourself already. So I ask you again, do you love the church? I want to stop just for a minute. I'm going to cut time out in our message, and I'm going to give you permission. I'm just going to make it okay, all right, from now on. It's okay for you to go out of here and say, I like Lighthouse Church, all right? It's okay. It's okay for you to go out of here and even say, I love Lighthouse Church. It's my church. You can do that. I give you permission. And know this, it won't be received necessarily well by some people. But that's what David's seeing. That's what all the little children are seeing as they're going to church. He's singing, let's go! I can't wait to go to church. Number two, an application. Would you be one to pray for the church? said in verse 6 to pray for the peace of the church and that, that you would prosper and they would prosper who you love. If I could convince you to do one thing that you would take away from here today and apply to your life, it would be this, to pray for our church. There's nothing better that you could do. I'll just throw a little side note in there if you want. If you'd pray for me, that'd sure help things too. I'll guarantee it. I promise you, I don't got what needs to be had to do what I do unless you pray for me. And if you know me, you would have said amen to that because you know it's the truth. So pray for me. If you just pray for the church. That's what he's saying here. That we would pray for the, the church and prosper in love. And so there's this progression in this psalm. And I'm going to give you this progression so you get it. I have it, I have it here. It's the next point of application. That you would love the church, verse 6, and then that would cause you to pray for the church. My note keeper's not keeping up with me. Love the church. <laughs> and that would cause you to pray for the church, which would lead to peace in the church. This is verse 6 and 7, which would lead to prosperity for the church which would lead to peace for you, which would lead to prosperity for you. Did you get that progression? And it started with you loving the church and then praying for the church. If you don't believe all that progression right there and you say, I'm not sure I believe all that, let me ask you to leave this afternoon and go interview somebody who's in a church full of discord. And let them tell you, how lacking they are and miserable they are. I know a preacher that I've talked to recently who has just finished preaching a series that he entitled Church Hurt. That was the title of his series. He preached it for several weeks long. He said that his response to that series that he preached overwhelmed him. It shocked him and amazed him. Because there were so many people who have been hurt 
by the church of today. I have two theories as to why people are so hurt by the church. The first one is, if you've ever experienced real church, that is, real fellowship in the spirit between brothers, it is a deep love like you don't get in the world. And so you, you know this intellectually, the deeper the love is, the greater the hurt can be. And so I think the one reason a lot of people have been hurt by churches is because they went into that church experiencing the depth of love that God intended them to experience in the house of God. And then when something went wrong, maybe somebody mistreated them or somebody did something they shouldn't do, it was a deep hurt, a deep open wound that resulted from it. The other reason I think some people are hurt by the church is because of the way the American church has been organized. The American church has been organized in such a way that we are so programmatic and institutionalized in, in almost a business-type structure where we don't pay our people, but we have this group of volunteers that a preacher's job is to compel and manipulate and dictate anything he can do to get everybody that's there to hold some sort of office and do some sort of duty at the church. Our church, as you know, we don't follow that approach. We have not followed that approach. But there are people who I have watched as an early young pastor. I have watched moms do things that they were manipulated into doing at the church building for hours and hours and weeks and weeks to the to the harm of their own children. Maybe they were doing it with a good heart, loving God. Maybe they were doing it with a good heart as for the Lord, but they were doing it at church, for church, to the harm of their own family. And in the church society of America today, if you are not working in the church, you're, you're considered uncommitted. Not here, I'm talking about everywhere else. Most everywhere else. You're considered uncommitted, that you don't love the Lord because you're not doing enough at the church building. We've tried to reverse that around and say, men, be a godly husband. Be a godly father. Do what you need to do in your home. Be there with your family. Teach them the word of the Lord. Lead your family in worship. We've encouraged you to be the, the man that God called you to be in your little church, your home, so that when you come here, it is an overflow and a celebration of what God's already doing in your house. But if you've been a part of a church for, let's say, 10 years, and you've worked as much at that church as you worked at your job, and you did it for free, and then somebody mistreats you, or then somebody wrongs you or takes you for granted, those people get deeply hurt. Can you see that? Because they feel like they give up so much. It's kind of like when you lose a job. You feel like you give up so much for that company, or in this case for that church. And look, they weren't even there for you when you were sick, or whatever the case may be. God didn't intend church to be that way. He didn't intend his house to be a place where you come and work so you get his love. He intended his house to be a place where you come and you get his love. So you don't walk away from church thinking the church owes you something back. You walk away from church thinking, oh, how much I owe to the Lord, more than I can ever repay, more than I can ever fulfill, more than I can ever do. Thank God for Jesus, because he paid the debts I cannot pay. Oh, what the church of the Lord has done for me. And so you feel this indebtedness, not this owed nature 
from the church. I want to ask you today to pray with me for our church. Because I know that there is a lot of church hurt in our area. That we would be a place of healing for those people who've been hurt by the church. You say, why do you want us to pray for that? That our church would be a place of healing for people that would be hurt by the church. Because of one reason is for us to be that kind of church, we would have to be a peaceful church that loves one another. Or we will not be a place for healing. Another reason may be because I, at a young age as a pastor, I was hurt by the church. And so I know what that feels like. And I don't want our church to be a church that causes hurt, but heals people's hurt from the church. Maybe it's because I know that many of you who are here today, who when you came here, expressed that you were hesitant to come here because you had been hurt by the church before you came here. Maybe it's because since our very beginning some years ago, we have seen God use our church not only to help people who've been hurt by the church, but he has used our church in a powerful way to help pastors who have been hurt by the church. I'm not a numbers guy, so I haven't kept up with the number, but there has been a, a more than a few pastors who have come here who have been hurt by their church, sometimes fired by the church, and they've come and stayed here for a week or several months, even sometimes over a year, and they have experienced the healing of the love of the church, and now they're back out there serving the Lord again, pastoring somewhere else. I want to ask you to pray with me that our church would be a place where people could be healed from church hurt, and that we would have love powerful love that is not something like the world gives, but something like the Lord gives. So that then when we come together in worship, shared worship, we celebrate together the worship of the Lord. I want to ask you, do you want to go to church? <laughs> I wish I had me a crazy guy who would say, let's go! <laughs> Maybe we need to, if we ever have a ringtone for our church, that would be it. Let's go! Let's go to church. There is a song out. You can Google it or search for it on Spotify that says that. I want to go to church. Go listen to it this afternoon. I don't know about you, but it has an effect on our whole family if the man wants to go to church. And it has an effect on what happens here on Sunday if you want to go to church. It's powerful. And that's what they're singing about. This song of David as they're climbing up the hill. I want to go to church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take this word and use it in our hearts to compel us to love the church of the Lord and to be vocal about it. Father, I pray that you would use our church to be healing to those who have been hurt by the church. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a love here. I pray, Father, that you would guard the peace here. Great forgiveness, if there is today any forgiveness that needs to be given to somebody else in the church, I pray that that would be fresh and, and taken care of today, Lord. 
Father, I pray that this place would be a place where love is shown, where love is known, and where we experience, most of all, the love of God in these services. Lord, we pray that this would be a place of peace so that it would be a place where the Spirit of God can move freely from heart to heart, mind to mind, doing the work of the Lord. Father, don't let us get caught up in the minor things. Don't let us get caught up in the petty things that would bring division. We pray, Father, that you would protect this church and give us peace. Lord, we bless you for the peace that you have given us these years. It is a testimony to your glory and to your work and nobody else's. Lord, help us in the days ahead to love your church more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.